Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast, where we explore how to center our lives and our leadership in the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. In the midst of the disruptive cultural shockwaves of the 21st century. Join us as we learn to take the love of God seriously as the force that holds all of us and everything together. Well, listener, I've got my coffee and my microphone. That means it's time for another Gravity Leadership Podcast. Ben also has his coffee. Good morning, Ben. Yeah, I'm just going to prove to everybody that I've got my coffee. Oh, Christy does too. Look at that. I do too. I have chai. You guys, since since last week, I'm not I'm not drinking coffee, people. You're not drinking coffee. I mean, chai has like caffeine and it's got sugar and it's got all the junk in it too. But like, I'm just I'm just seeing what it's like to not have coffee for a week. Okay. This is a little spiritual discipline, a little fast. No, no, no. I was getting sick on coffee. Actually, I got an email from one of our listeners telling me that if I really liked pumpkin spice lattes and it was making me sick, I should just like dump a little of like the pumpkin seasoning stuff like in my coffee grounds, Mm -hmm. like at home. Yep. Oh. It's delicious. Or cinnamon or both for that matter. Yeah, that's true. That's good. Very fall colors. Yeah. Yeah, Last week, Matt, uh, you weren't on the intro because you were traveling uh, the world. Well, not really the world, but yeah, uh, had a had a had a great trip. But Christy was saying that coffee was making her sick. Oh, bummer! Yeah. But how, how was your trip, Matt? Well, it was Where'd great. I uh, for uh, for the for most of you who weren't with me, I was on the High Sierra Trail, which uh, is if you if you Google that on the uh, on the YouTube's, you'll find some videos about how they made the High Sierra Trail, mm. uh, which are really interesting. They're interesting little like documentaries or films, but <clears throat> yeah, hiked 72 miles in six days, gained 15,000 feet of elevation, mm. had a 19 mile day, a 15 mile day. Even the that, shortest day was like bonkers either down or up. So it was mm. the hardest thing I've ever done. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Even uh, for this Colorado girl, like, 19 mile day. That's a no joke, my friend. It was no joke. And you remember, remember, uh, I visited with Christy. It was, I think, last summer or the summer before, and we drove up Pikes Peak. Remember that, Christy? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And we walked around, and our kids were like feeling lightheaded. And <laughs> yeah, and, that was and, like your life. <laughs> and uh, anyway, so in the drive up to Pikes Peak is like 90 minutes. Is that right, Christy? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I don't know if that it may be an hour. An hour. Okay. But, um, but anyway, where Christy lives is about 7,000 feet. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. About seven thousand feet, and Pikes Peak is fourteen one, I think. 
Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it is ridiculous how it's like hard for the car to get up the hill. You know what I mean? Like <laughs> the car's like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. Um, and it was basically that times two plus 400 feet is, is what Crazy. I did. And, yeah. wow. and I think about it like that. I think about it like that. And I think, oh my gosh, this is nuts. But all I say, I, there's a, I, I got to figure out how to, I'm still mining the, I'm still mining the gold from the time on the trail. But one of the things I told Ben in Wichita, which is how I, I came home through Wichita, as you do, um, <laughs> Ben and I were at a conference the last few days. And so we were in Wichita together, but I told him that like, you know, that, you know, the desert fathers and mothers, they talk about like going into the wilderness and like Jesus in the gospels fast for 40 days, like mm-hmm. putting yourself uh, into some kind of physical, mental distress in order to be closer to who you are and who God is. Like yeah. there's this Christian tradition of that. And I felt like the trail was a, uh, like a dark night of the soul, spiritual training ground. It was like a, mm. it was very much, um, it was very much a meeting with God because there were so many days when we, I had like, you know, hours more to hike and I was just done. Mm. But there's no roads. The, yeah. you, the the only way out is either the way you came in or the way you're leaving. Mm-hmm. And you just have to keep going. And you and, and the hardest part, I mean, physically like blisters and soreness and head like altitude headaches and you know, I think I, I told Ben, I think I spent most of the week with my heart rate at like 80% just because you're carrying 50 pounds in your back mm-hmm. and you're at 10,000 feet plus elevation and you're walking uphill <laughs> and you've got 14 miles to hike. So you can't uh, shilly shally, as they say. <laughs> um, but the the hardest part is the mental. So mm-hmm. much like we talk about bad news. We talk about like the things that the beliefs that live in our bones I'm yeah. telling you, it was a full-on tsunami of all the crap that lives in my body, all the lies, all the mm. bad news that lives in my body, just coming online and like yeah. demanding to be to have dominion and to be honored and to be to be given place. And I, I had, I had a choice. I had like choice. I, I don't know, hundreds of choices. It felt like every day of what mm. to do with that, yeah. and so. Spiritually uh, and mentally, it was arduous, mm. to say the least, but great. So anyway, that's a really quick summary of the, the hardest thing I've ever done that probably will go down as one of the best things I've ever done. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, maybe, I mean, I don't know. We haven't even talked about this yet, but it might be interesting to, I don't know what format you're going to kind of mine all that stuff out in, Matt, but it'd be interesting to talk more about it because, man, I just my my mind goes in so many different directions as you talk about that, you know, that there's, I think the, you know, the desert fathers and mothers going out into the desert to battle demons, like feels mm-hmm. a little quaint or like naive to us almost like, what, what do you think you're doing? But you know, like you've had this real life experience of like, Oh, this is, this is how, this is how this works. And you're, you're not aware of maybe how many escape hatches there are in our, in our lives, right. Where Mm -hmm. some of that stuff comes online and it's just, you know, sometimes you have to put yourself in a situation where there's no other option, but to go through it because man, in our normal lives, there's just so many ways to not go through it, go around it, you know, just go backwards, you know, like 
I don't know. I, I find that, um, anyway, to be super fascinating to think about. So. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Well, welcome back, Matt. Glad you Thanks. didn't die. I'm glad I didn't die too. You. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Thanks. Good. Well. Yeah. Come back. And today. Come back to talk about trauma in the pews. Mm-hmm. Right? That's right. Trauma yeah. on the uh, trauma on the path, and now trauma in the pews. So, um, <laughs> the impact of faith on faith and spiritual practices by Jane McConaughey. She uh, was a fantastic. Some some of the interviews we have, there's like um, good information, and I feel like there's uh, you know a synergy. But with Jane and a Janine, few others, right? sorry, Janine, Janine, my yeah. bad. Uh, with Janine and a few others, there was like a um, uh, just a real connection and like yeah. some generative things were happening. Yeah. Yeah. She was, uh, she's great to talk to. Um, she's one of those, I don't know, she's just very open hearted person. And so like, there was a lot of her just sort of, I don't know, just going and going. It's one of my favorite kind of interviews and listener, if you've been listening for a little while, you'll know that, um, this is the kind of interview we like to do where we don't just kind of do the standard back and forth. Tell us about your book, you know, standard question mm-hmm. about your book okay, listeners, please buy this book. Like we like to have generative conversations where we can, you know, come up with something on the fly where there's a little bit of, uh, you know, we're discovering and learning together. And this was definitely one of those interviews. So um, I I really enjoyed talking with Janine. Me too. Yeah. All right. Should we get into it? Should we get into it then? Let's do it, Christy. Here we go. Dr. Janine McConaughey joins us today on the Gravity Podcast. She's a trauma survivor who draws from her lifelong involvement in church ministries to train teachers and ministry workers at colleges and universities. And she's been the board president for the Attachment and Trauma Network and is a distinguished visiting professor at Tabor College. Today, she's joining us to discuss the book she's written, Trauma in the Pews, The Impact on Faith and Spiritual Practices. Janine, welcome to the Gravity Podcast. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So good to be here. Yes, we are doing a series on trauma as religious um, professionals, I guess you could say. We find ourselves trained to exegete a passage, but uh, less trained to help people who are dealing with or enduring uh, or dealing with our own trauma as ministers. So maybe to get us started, Janine, could you tell us a bit about how you became acquainted with um, trauma and how you uh, decided to study it as an area um, of expertise. I always, I always hesitate because I'm like, how far back do I go mm-hmm. with my being acquainted with trauma? So I would have to go all the way back to early childhood. So I'm a survivor and I, um, I, Uh, Most of my trauma during my lifetime, which included sexual abuse, was in some way connected with the church, even though um, in order to serve in the church, I I had to pretty much set that aside. uh, Your story just doesn't belong. That story doesn't belong in the church. And especially if you are in leadership and ministry, that story doesn't belong there. And so I hope that is changing. And part of what I'm doing is to try to change that narrative that yes. uh, that, that doesn't belong. But 
I uh, served in education. I was an educator, but I served for 33 years in ministry preparation colleges. And so uh, since my field was um, child development psychology, um, I was also a math educator as part of my teacher education responsibilities. And, and so I interacted with those students who were preparing for ministry at a traditional level at um, one college and a non-traditional student level at another college. And um, I always gravitated to those students who um, struggled for reasons that we couldn't comprehend. And um, many of them are out there um, doing fantastic things. And now they, we, t I talk to them and they're like, yeah, I had so much trauma, but we never knew that. We didn't know each other's stories. So um, my 40th year in education, I am instructional um, design um, specialist at a college and running a couple different programs and at the top of my career. And I feel prompted to begin therapy. And my whole world blew up. And, uh, and, um, and so in my first book that I wrote, which is Brave and the Healing of Childhood Trauma, I tell that story of basically falling down the rabbit hole <laughs> with Alice and just grabbing at anything I could on the way down and trying it. And I, I, um, I was led to an amazing therapist who, uh, who basically saved my life in that, in that time. And so um, three years of intensive therapy and I came out on the other side and I sat on her couch one day and I said, I never want anyone to be as lonely as I was on this journey. So my last year teaching at the college, no one, no one on staff or faculty or administration knew that I was in therapy. And I was sometimes going up to three to four or more hours a week just to stay afloat and finish out that year because I wanted to finish well. That was my main goal in life was to finish well. And I did. I did it. But it was the hardest thing I ever did. So having said all that, I published my first book. And I'm terrified because everyone knows me as the Bible college professor. And I don't have a story. Nothing has ever happened to me. You know, I'm just this amazing person. And so um, when I tell my story, I'm terrified. And then all of a sudden, they they start coming out of the woodwork, not just women, men who have been abused, who had been harmed in, in or out of the church. Um, and, and, um, I published two more books and they just kept coming. And finally, my third book, which is a brave life and tells my faith journey. Um, one of my readers in South Africa said, um, no one ever told me it wasn't a spiritual problem. And that changed my focus of everything I did from that point on, because I realized that not only had they suffered as children, but that they had then gone to the church for help. And, and instead they felt like failures. They felt like spiritual failures. And so that is kind of where um, I got to trauma in the pews, because I said, as much as I can help um as much as I can help the survivors, which has always been my heart is the survivor, as much as I can help the survivors, if the ministry leaders do not understand the ways that they are re-traumatizing people who experience trauma as children, then they will continue to re-traumatize them. And those people will never have the abundant life that Jesus promised to all of us. And so um, that's why I wrote Trauma in the Pews. It was never, it wasn't a book I intended to write, but it was a book that I needed to write. And I accept that. 
So that kind of answers the question of how I ended out at trauma in the pews. So we hear we hear the word trauma a lot. In fact, you know, twenty years ago it was scarcely mentioned, and today it's almost every day we hear about it. And sometimes I encounter you know trauma fatigue, people overusing it, or uh, you know, people saying it's lost its meaning or they're they're tired of it or they feel like everyone is traumatized and, you know, every conflict is trauma. So can you just help us here uh, get solid footing and, and explain what do you mean by trauma? What what does trauma mean? I, uh, I've answered this question so many times. You would think that it would just flow. <laughs> <laughs> And every time I hesitate because I've learned something more and a better way to sure. say it, right? And then sure. I'm looking for that that thing. And I think I think the thing that I've come up with lately to best describe it is it is any situation with which overwhelms your capacity to cope mm-hmm. and your capacity to uh, and 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 trauma is not there's a traumatic event. Okay, something happens, and this is. This is true for those those situations where there is an actual trauma, a traumatic event that you can name. But in uh, chronic trauma, where children experience this high stress level and uh, unpredictability and traumatic experiences mixed in with it, then it's more of a pervasive thing. But but it is any situation, whether it's an event or an ongoing situation that um, overwhelms the nervous system and so and the capacity to cope and so if you think of um, and and it depends on the age and of course I'm a child development person so this is the part that fascinates me because because when we um, when you look at the definition for trauma which is actual or threatened death serious injury or sexual violence which is what is in the DSM when you when you look at actual or threatened death and then you look at it from the perspective of a child it just doesn't take much to overwhelm their nervous systems that they that aren't even developed yet right so what i came to in my definitions that i use in the book is any situation which causes an individual to feel threatened and you have to think about that as a child physically or emotionally feel powerless and that's a main thing is that they feel powerless and or overwhelms the capacity to cope, which is what I'm saying, and resulting in a lasting adverse effects on well-being and ability to function. So when we talk about trauma, it isn't just, oh, something bad happened to me. No, it is the way that I came to believe about myself. Am I powerless? Am I helpless? Um, Is the world... Is the world a good place to live or is is it safe for me? Is it unsafe? Are these people who are in this world, are they going to protect me? Are they? And generally those who experience childhood trauma don't believe any of that is true. Mm-hmm. And so it is, it is a it's a it's a view that they it's a lens that they see everything that happens in their life through. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Something I hear that's important here. Uh, Janine, that I didn't understand when I first began to reckon with my own trauma was that um, trauma isn't so much about the severity of what happens to you, but it's more about how your body and mind experience that event, right? So two people can experience the same event and one registered as this trauma and one just registers it as a bad day. 
Correct. And I think it's subjective and yet it's not. So one of the things that brought me to trauma in the pews was the realization that those who experience early childhood um, traumatic events or adverse experiences, as we discussed with the ACEs study, and I don't I don't know if you've ever talked about that. And I, we can go there if you want to. But those who experience those early Instead of receiving the nurturing care and the protection and the safety that they needed to base their life on, it's all survival strategies mm-hmm. because because they didn't have that. And so, um, so you have, I have a story and I've never actually put it in a book, but I, I need to publish it somehow, right? About two, two young men in church and how they came to the church and one came from a nurturing atmosphere and one came from a horribly abusive alcoholic father etc and and how they perceived what was being taught in completely different ways and how they perceived the service in different ways and how they um because they come at it with a completely different mindset and so uh i I I usually talk about when I talk about this I talk about the the worm theology that 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 people are told that they're worthless. Well, anyone who survived childhood trauma already believes that. Right. We and so you walk into church already believing that you're worthless and you have no problem accepting that you're worthless because you already knew that. Mm-hmm. Right? But it does not help you to address why you believed as a child you were worthless and how that's affecting you as an adult. Yeah. Yeah. And now a word from a sponsor. The Gravity Podcast is sponsored by the Gravity Formation Course, a 12-month cohort-based training in practical spiritual formation, where you'll learn to notice how God is already at work in your life so you can participate more fully in the life God shares with us. It's a discipleship process that goes beyond just gaining more knowledge and trying some new practices. In the Gravity Formation course, we go below the surface of our lives so we can notice and name our deepest desires in God's presence and discern how God is at work in those desires to lead us toward holistic flourishing. More transformation, more life, more joy, more love. We've trained hundreds of people from all over the world in this formation framework, and it has helped many to have a sense of God at work in their lives and learn to be more at home in God's love. If you'd like to learn more, go to gravitycommons.com slash formation. All right, let's get back into our conversation. I'm just reflecting on my my own past as I've been in ministry for a long time. And um, one of the things I think that's interesting about your book is you you talk about how trauma informs our ability, like informs our faith, but also our spiritual practices. And so Mm -hmm. I I can't count the number of times that I probably recommended to someone who was traumatized, didn't realize, I didn't realize, they probably didn't realize, but just recommended like prayer, you know, like, oh, it sounds like you're having a rough time. You know, it helps me prayer. um, but but obviously, you know, part of what yeah. happens, right, is is trauma affects our ability to pray. So I wonder if you can talk about that. Like, how does trauma affect our ability to do or the effectiveness of spiritual practices in our lives? 
I had a really interesting situation. I, I graduated um, from Point Loma Nazarene University, and they asked me to come back and speak about this book last spring. And they had been studying Quaker practices and um, centering, and and so they 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 opened it with a with a like five minute centering prayer, you know, and everyone was you know all involved in the class, and I'm like breathing deeply because the silence it is the silence of prayer so silence is one problem you know when you say well you just need to spend uh well and one of the reasons we say to be silent is so you hear the voice of god but the only problem is is that the voices in your head telling you how worthless you are are so overwhelming until they're resolved and healed and so that time of silence becomes just a place to beat yourself up and feel more worthless and and to and to mistake the voice of maybe even your abusers that told you how worthless you were to mistake their that voice for the voice of god and so so um so a silent and and it was really it was kind of interesting because i panicked and then i went no no, we've, we've worked through this. We've, we understand why I have struggle with that and why. So God, let's have a conversation during this time. And you, we can just talk while they're having their silent prayer. And, <laughs> and so, so it was a totally, it was really tr- what started out to be a very triggering experience. And by the way, I want to say that, you know, we put trigger warnings on everything and really the triggers are what help us know where we need to heal. Mm. And so a lot of times we're, we're playing in, and we're, I'm not saying go trigger people, heaven forbid I would say that. But personally, I had to learn that instead of avoiding what triggered me, that I need to realize that that was something that ha- held a really important clue to part of my story that would help me heal. Wow. Yeah. And so I would just pick up that trigger and I would take it to therapy and say, this is what dysregulated me this week, which by the way, uh, a lot of times we in the church confuse um, uh, the dysregulation of our nervous system for conviction. You know, well, if you feel unsettled, oh. then that's God convicting you. Uh, well, oh. for a trauma survivor, that's very unlikely. God is God is not convicting. You are dysregulated by your traumatic experiences. And so without distinguishing those two, we often feed into that. But your question was about prayer. Sorry, that was a rabbit trail. I did, my students, you know, I taught for so many years and they just were like, oh, we love your rabbit trails. You just go off and then you, you do manage to come back. So we're going to have to come back to that rabbit trail. I'm just, I'm just putting a note in it. Okay. Okay. So, um, what, so the other one, so you mentioned prayer and I'm writing another book, which specifically talks to survivors about how to have a spiritual, how to develop spiritual practices that work with their body and help heal their trauma instead of working against it and trying to control themselves to do this. And so one of the things I say, like for me, you know, all of the sermons about, um, did your, does your Bible have dust on it? Well, that's because when you pick it up, it convicts you, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, yeah. And it's the the word of God convicting you. Well, in reality, my abusers quoted scriptures to me. Yeah. And when I when I pick up my Bible, I can hear their voices instead of being able to focus on the Bible. Yeah. 
And so, and, and what the scriptures are actually saying. And of course, you've, we've had a thousand verses misinterpreted yeah. <laughs> from the pulpits, right? Sure. And sure. so I called it, when I first began to understand this, I just said, I can't pick up my Bible because all I can hear are talking heads. All I can hear, I can't hear God as I read. All I can hear are all the voices that condemn me my whole life. Yeah. And so, so I have an exercise in the book where I say, um, where's your Bible? You know, locate it. You know, does it have dust on it? That means it dysregulates you. That means that, that it is, but if, if you go and you look for your Bible and it's in a special place and you want to pick it up and hug it, that means that it regulates you. Hmm. It isn't, it isn't the scripture itself that is a problem. It is what it does to your, to your nervous system. And so um, I can look up scripture on my computer. I can look up, I can do word studies. I can use it in my writing I can do all of those things, but I cannot pick up my Bible and and maybe I'll I'm working through that, right? Because yeah. that's a trigger and that's something I need to think about. But I can't just pick it up and read it because of some of the experiences that I had while I was holding a Bible in my hand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh Janine, that um that really resonates. And I think one of the big paradigm shifts for me as a as a pastor, as a spiritual leader, um was kind of moving from, and you know, I experienced this, you know, in my own life when I experienced shame, for example, where the move from thinking of that as some sort of moral deficiency personally for me to thinking of it as a wound that needs to be tended and healed was absolutely transformative. And I hear that in some of what you're sharing where we, you know, it's really easy for us as Christians to think that my inability to, to read the Bible without being triggered, and, and it's so hard for me to read the Bible, that feels like a moral deficiency. It should be easier for me. I love Jesus. I love God. I, I, I want to do this, but I can't. But it's such a huge and healing paradigm shift to realize, no, that's a wound. It, it, it's not a moral deficiency. It's a wound that needs to be tended to. And that's just, just so much more compassion in that. So. And, and to, to hear a sermon where it's discussed as a wound instead of as a judgment yeah. is life-giving. Yes. Absolutely life-giving. And to, um, I, uh, rare. <laughs> can I? <laughs> yes, unfortunately. Can I just, like, like if I could go and just hug you right now, like, yes, mm. preach that. Preach that, that that when you when you are dysregulated, then there's something there's something that is 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 part of your story that is just an open wound, yeah. and that requires healing. And yeah. the, the uh, in the trauma, so I uh, just stepped down as president of the board, but I'm still on the board for the Attachment and Trauma Network, and and that is where God led me to understand trauma, mm. and uh, and so I it was. I, I basically Googled attachment and trauma and their organization came up and I realized I all of a sudden I began to understand early childhood trauma and I began to understand they, so my books would not exist without that organization and what they, what they have taught. And uh, we have a, it's, it's a creating trauma sensitive schools conference, but if I could get, if I could get faith leaders to come to that conference as I did in a, in a, in a um, 
to learn and to understand, it would be transforming to to the church. So we're in Dallas in February, but um, I think that to hear someone stand up behind the pulpit and say, "What are your wounds? Where where is it that you need to heal?" And it could be that the things you can't do are the clues to finding where that wound is. Yeah. That's really good, Janine. Um, ben, hopefully you're taking notes on what to preach from the pulpit from now on. Yeah, <laughs> I, I'm definitely taking notes and I'm receiving uh, your virtual, your, I'm receiving your desire to, to give me a hug as a virtual hug. Janine, yes. so thank yes. you. <laughs> uh, with permission, could, I would ask. Oh yeah, yeah of course, first. of course. Yes, yes, yes. because that would be being trauma informed. That's right, permission. that's right. Realizing yes. not everybody automatically wants to be hugged. So Right, yeah, right. Very good. You actually introduce a couple other phrases about trauma, Janine, that I was less familiar with. Trauma-informed is one that I have been, but you also use the phrases trauma-sensitive and trauma-responsive. Could you speak about those three things and how you use them uh, to speak about specific or particular things? So this is really interesting because you asked this question today because I'm right in the middle of a, a project for ATN and we are creating a certification program and it is based on those levels oh. on trauma-informed, trauma-sensitive, trauma-responsive. And so so I'm deep into that. So let me t get concise here since <laughs> that question could send me up on the rest of the podcast. Okay, I'm going to be concise. So basically in trauma-informed, it's all, and I'm a teacher, I'm an educator. So it's all knowledge level. You know what trauma is. I know, I know what the adverse childhood experiences study is. I understand um, how it affects, you know, I can, I can name all of those facts. That is being trauma-informed. Trauma-sensitive is where in my book, I take it to, this is how I want you to help, I want to help the reader understand how the impact of trauma makes the spiritual dif disciplines difficult. And so I want, and in doing so, I want you to become more sensitive to people who have experienced trauma. Okay, and then trauma responsive is like, once you understand this, once you comprehend the impact that it has, then I want you to find ways to be responsive that are trauma informed and trauma sensitive. So, so if, if I were to say, if it was a sermon, right, or, a, or speaking, trauma informed would be the knowledge level that I'm gonna give you. Then I would, then I would go into stories, which my book is filled with stories because stories explain how the how trauma affects people better than anything else I could imagine. And every story is a composite of a bunch of stories. I don't share people's stories are sacred to me. I don't share them without permission. But it's a composite. So if something happened to at least two people who told their story to me, then that went in the book. And so, but those stories are in there to build that compassion. And then the response at the end of the book, I name five ways that um, that uh, churches, five practices that churches can do that would make them trauma informed trauma, and and they all involve doing something, so responding to something, the way that you preach, the way that you you know do your. I, 
Uh, okay, that was a moment where I started to say something that relates to a really difficult experience right now, and I'm moving on from it. Okay, <laughs> so um, how you how you um, practice church, how you do church, and in ways that make those who have experienced trauma comfortable enough to actually come to your church and have um, a spiritual experience that that makes them leave feeling better than then they walked in. Can you double click on that for just a second? Um, because just last week I'm, I'm getting my doctorate at Denver seminary mm -hmm. and I had a, a meeting with the, the head of the program and she was telling me that next fall, they're going to start a trauma informed track for a doctorate in ministry, which I, I think might be the first in the country. And I'm super excited about it and think it's awesome that they're doing that. Um, but of course me as a pastor, and being in education, I'm like, okay, like, how do I do this? Like, unpack this for me in a real practical way. I know that you shared this, um, you know, in the final section of your book, how do you become trauma responsive in your lives and in your ministries? But can you just unpack, like, maybe double click on, like, one thing that our listeners can take, like, one concrete step as a, a novice, as a beginner to be a trauma responsive person? So, and by the way, um, I lived in Colorado Springs when I wrote my, during my healing journey, it took place in Colorado Springs. Oh, I love and that. And I have friends who've attended Denver Seminary and I am totally excited to hear this. So yes. I just have to do that as an aside. Yes. And, uh, and uh, Colorado Springs is a very interesting place with the people who land there, walk, wander through there and oh, yeah. in there. It's a very yes. interesting place. Yes. So, um, so what would be one practical way? Um, I think that there's so many. It's like, okay, Janine, she just asked you a question that walks you into a candy store, and I want you to pick up one <laughs> piece of candy. That's all you can eat. What will it be? Okay. Um, I think that I think that I would say that you um, are able to. And I learned this in therapy. I had never experienced this in church. That when someone comes to you with a story, that you can hold space for them without, without judging, without giving advice, without trying to fix them, without telling them where they're wrong in that, without asking them to repent, mm -hmm. that you can simply listen and hold space for their story. And in the, in the book, I... I think I gave a list of of those things that you can say, right? Because a lot of times we just know what to say. And then we go back to our, we think we need to teach the person how they should deal with this, okay? So I, I gave a list of to say, I am so sad that happened to you. Um, that that should never have happened to you. And it was wrong. And this was not your fault. Um, that... Uh, you know, just just to hold this. And I think there's like a list of five. And honestly, those are the things that my therapist said to me in right. therapy. Right. Yes. Where did I learn those? I learned those in the in a safe space where I wasn't greeted with. Well, you know, in the Bible, it says, you know, mm -hmm. and it and well, you need to forgive. And it was none of that. It was just holding space. So if I were to look at the candy shelves and choose one nugget, I would say, 
can we just listen to people's stories and hold space for them? Yeah. That phrase, holding space, Janine, is another phrase that I wasn't acquainted with five, ten years ago. And now people say it. And there's some important postures and practices, uh, relational uh, dynamics that are involved in that. But um, it's it's been my experience that some people who think they know what that means don't. don't. And some people who think they can do it can't. So, yes. so, so tr- treat us like we're, um, uninformed, uh, Christians. <laughs> like uh, I'm laughing because we just, our favorite, my husband and I, our favorite movie is Princess Bride. And the, I don't think you really know what that word means. Yes. <laughs> yes. Of that. And, uh, and I agree with you and I, because I've been so steeped in this. Now I do want to say that, that, um, five years ago. I was I published my first book five years ago. I have published all four books in the last five years. I'm taking September to rest. Yeah, <laughs> and uh, and I didn't know what any of this meant either. And so uh, it was all new to me. And so I think that sometimes, um, and my tendency to use the phrases and not realize, like for instance, I would love to talk about regulation and co-regulation and. Um, and, and the fact that what we need to be for each other are co-regulators. So mm-hmm. in other words, in other words, the, if someone comes to you with and they're distressed and they need to share their story and they need to talk with someone, then they are in a very dysregulated state. So their nervous system is on fire. They're amygdala. They're terrified because they're being brave and courageous in telling you this. And what you as the listener needs to do is to find that regulated space in your own body. And so once you are able to do, and actually, if you, if you think about what a mother does for a child, that is co-regulation and the mother has to be regulated or caretaker. I shouldn't just say mothers. The caretaker needs to regulate themselves and that enables the child to learn how to regulate themselves. That's where self-regulation comes from. The only place you learn self-regulation is in relationships. So in that holding space, you are, you are a co-regulator you you are the calmness that that person needs and when when i read the interactions that jesus had with the people his very presence helped them to just settle in and and connect with him in a relational way and that is holding space so it isn't as much as it yes it is important what you say because you don't want to dysregulate them by what you say, but it is, it is who you are mm-hmm. and, and the calmness that you are giving the other person to accept their story, to, um, to affirm their story, believe it for one thing. I mean, I have stories I'll never tell because I, if, it's not going to be believed anyway. Right. Why do that? My therapist knows that. Okay, I'm done. We're good. Okay, so, um, but but that is what that is part of what happens in therapy is that yes. very safe space where the person is so calm, 
right? I said, I said in the book, like I repeat again and again in my first book, I say she didn't flinch. Like I just puked everything that I had shame about. I threw it into the middle of the room and the woman did not flinch. And that is holding space when you can accept someone's story and not flinch. But what I hear you saying, especially for us, whether it's in relationship with our kids, our spouses, our friends, or if we're in ministry, the people we're, we're pouring out to, we ourselves have to do the work to be regulated ourselves. There's no way we can hold space for somebody who's dysregulated if we have not done the work to be regulated ourselves. Yes. And, and uh, this is what... Uh there, oh, I have so, I mean, I have so many resources I could share right in this particular moment, but my friend Ginger Healy just wrote a book on regulation and co-regulation, and it's written for people who work with children, and it's how, and, and, and the thing, the thing that we say is you, it is your responsibility to take care of your own wounds and your own, so that you can be regulated and co-regulate with the child. So what happens mm -hmm. in the classroom is a child does something, it triggers something in the adult, the adult, adult reacts, the child reacts back. There's this horrible video out there right now about a teacher who just loses it because a child throws a shoe at, a teenager throws a shoe at. And if you watch it, you can see them continuing to escalate the situation because the teacher does not have the peace within herself. Um, the, the regulation of her own nervous system in order to not continue in that escalation thing. And we've all done it, haven't we, in marital arguments or, you know, we just, I'm mad and then I make you mad and then you make me madder and then you, and pretty soon it just blows up. And that is because one person has to maintain regulation in order to fuse the situation. Yeah, and so your answer... Janine just reminds me of how little, um, li little competency we have, and how e the lexicon needed to just to talk about who we're to be for and with each other in our trauma. Even that lexicon is foreign, right? So, how would I know if I'm regulated? What does dysregulation look like, right? What are some of the what are some of the and these are questions that probably people could guess at. But unless you've done work, unless you've been to therapy, unless you've read a few books, you, you're going to just be throwing like maybes and ideas at these words. Um, so I guess what I'm reflecting on is the thing needed to be trauma sensitive and trauma responsive is to know when you're dysregulated yourself, know how to become more regulated in the moment and be a resonating witness to people who are dysregulated themselves not taking it personally, not morally pathologizing their dysregulation, but like you said, holding space in a way that allows their nervous system to relax and be calmed. And in none of this, I mean, I mastered divinity, Janine. None of this was taught to me in my none, life. None of this I taught in... I taught in Bible colleges for 33 years that had counseling programs as part of it. And I never, ever heard this. Okay. And that's why. So one of the, one of the fears, those of us who have done the deep dive, you know, and I, and trust me, I'm trying so hard not to nerd out on you. Okay. <laughs> well, <laughs> same, 
because we're trying really hard not to nerd out on you. Look at look at us caring for each other like this. We are holding we're holding space for so there's so much I know about. I mean, I teach classes on neuroscience and trauma, right? There's so much that I know about this. And but but you know you don't have to know all that to hold space for somebody. Mm-hmm. Right? You don't have to. In fact, it, the more you get into your head, sometimes the less that the less able you are to do that. One of the concerns that we have, those of us who do the deep dive into neuroscience and trauma and regulation, self-attachment and trauma, those of us who who, you know, live and breathe this stuff, is that the church, in their eagerness to 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 become trauma-informed, will just take little little nuggets off a podcast or little nuggets off a you know out of it and not and not do the deep dive of really understanding trauma and then just spiritualize it all and just attach a verse to it and um and not actually i i one of the very first things that i did when after i published brave was i went to I went to speak at Liberty University to their psychology students. I don't even. My friend got me hooked up with this. It was amazing, right? Mm-hmm. And I and I I um my topic was created to survive, and I did basically did the whole thing on this is how God created us with an amygdala. You know, if you want to talk about being wonderfully created, then you need to do the deep dive to understand what that actually means. I mean that. Ooh. Because, okay, so the whole place was packed out. The over 350 students showed up. And and they were so interested in what I had to say about this. And I and I said um, to one of the students afterwards, I'm like, you guys amaze me. You just showed up. Like, I, I just can't believe so many of you showed up. I said, you knew I was old. I mean, you, all you have to do is, you know, look at the credits, right? And, uh, and, and they said, and the guy... amazing young man he said you know that's why we that's why we showed up because people your age don't talk about this and so so part of what we're dealing with is is a is a generational gap because my generation primarily was told to never ever talk about the things that happened to us that were bad We were told to leave it all behind. We were, and that is why we have churches where we don't know any of this because we haven't. And I, and I, I throw no rocks because, because, you know, say 10, 15 years ago, we didn't know about this in the schools either. So um, this is all a paradigm shift that's come to us recently, but the, the church, and that's why I published the book because we need to catch up. We need to catch up because because we're we're not doing we're not helping the people who are the most harmed by um, not knowing what is actually happening inside of them. Yeah. We'll be right back. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 
everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Let's get back to the show. Well, Janine, I want to pivot a bit from um, holding space, learning how to hold a space for ourselves, and maybe um, those of us who are listening, our listeners, and, and maybe this podcast is space for them, You've named something that I think is crucially important in your book. In fact, the major not to say majority, but a large part of your book is to take a look at practices that deal with a, a person, a spiritual practices that deal with a person, uh, the world, and in the church, and how you go through these practices, things like Bible reading, prayer, silence, service, etc. And you say, this is how it can be triggering to somebody who has experienced trauma. And this is the first book I've ever read where um, somebody looks at a trauma survivor and says, hey, if you feel like you can't pray or walk in the doors of a church, it could be because your trauma is coming online. And, and it doesn't mean that you're a bad Christian. Yeah. <laughs> thank you. <laughs> well, thank yes, you, because this is, <laughs> I, I, you know, there's, uh, there's all this conversation in our circle of the world about people leaving churches or going through deconstruction, and the predominant, um, not, not everyone, but the predominant response to church leaders in, say, like, white evangelicalism is to sort of police that, right? Mm-hmm. To argue why you shouldn't leave the church, or to say, yeah, I know um, Christians hurt you, but you know what? We're all sinners, and um, we all need forgiveness, right? There's all these ways of dismissing people's hurt and injury and trauma. And I think what your book does is it helps people who've experienced trauma and have moved towards taking care of themselves. Like for instance, um, walking away from a church where they, their body is just too reactive to even settle down and pay attention. And in your book basically looks them in the eye and says, you're doing a good job trying to take care of yourself. Yes. And we desperately need that Janine. Yes. And I, um, so let me tell you, uh, there's a long story that goes along with this book and I could get emotional right here because, um, when, um, some of the support that I was supposed to have when I published it walked away from me and, uh, and I don't want to go into that and I don't, but I, I just looked, I said, God, okay, it's you and me. If this book ever goes anywhere, it's because this what I'm saying is important and those who need to hear it will hear it. And so let's go. And so um, I literally had zero marketing dollars, zero. And I literally had no, um, no idea how I would get this book out there. But it is so different from what everybody else is saying that I knew that if, if I could just get on a few podcasts... <laughs> And I could talk about it. And oh, thank you. Thank you, everyone. Yes, that and that I would. Yes, what you just did that people could I could look at people and say through the podcast and and through my voice, I could say, good job taking care of yourself. Good job. And um, and so that's just a beautiful I'm going to go pull that clip that you just when the audio comes, I'm going to pull that and just replay it to myself again and again, because that's all I ever wanted to do. 
all I ever wanted to do was to look at people like Jesus looks at them and says, good job. Good yes. job. You're doing the best you can. It's amazing yeah. what you're doing because the people who tell me their stories, I have no idea how they even want to have a relationship with God anymore because right. of the God that was portrayed to them. Yeah. And there is no one whose faith is any stronger. I mean, if you knew my full story, you'd be like, what on earth, Janine? Why did you write that book? And why are you out doing this? And why do you allow yourself to walk into church circles where you are so triggered sometimes? Why do you do this? <laughs> and, um, and I took a big hit this last weekend, let me tell you. And uh, it's going to take a while to recover from that one. But um, but I, I do it because this was never what faith was supposed to be. Faith was supposed to be something that was abundant and, and something that helped us to know that we were created as God's beloved and that we are loved. And... Um, and so thank you. Thank you. I, now I'm just like totally overwhelmed by that. So thank you, Matt, for those words, because um, because this book has has uh, there's other books that are way more successful. But I believe I believe that God was God did not wring his hands in that moment where I realized I had no support and um, that that this is evidence of that. And so I thank you. And uh yeah. So, um, I don't even remember. Did you ask me a question? <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> maybe, but, uh, I have a confession too, Janine. I don't remember if I did or not. Um, <laughs> we'll have to all listen back to the audio to figure out what happened. Cause I yeah. don't remember either. So, yeah, I think, I think I just wanted to affirm that, um, for a long time, I felt the need to simply validate people's hurt uh, you know, I use the word resonating witness just to be a, a non-condemning, compassionate witness and say, I'm sorry, that stinks. Um, and if you had to move away from a local church to stop being triggered or feeling reactive or feeling dysregulated, then obviously that's not God's best. But, um, but also to gaslight your own conscience and to put yourself in places that your nervous system is telling are harmful. Whether they, whether, you know, whether people are being harmful, right, is a different, is a different question than is right. my nervous system dysregulated, right? right? And so I think, I think knowing, knowing that we can take care of ourselves for a season and giving people permission and freedom to do that is, is needed, Janine, because not many pastors or denominational leaders are saying that. No. Um, and and no. we try to say it, but when we say it, Sometimes we get in trouble for it. <laughs> so I appreciate, I appreciate I, I you going that. before us. I knew that about you, and and uh, and I. That's why I was pretty excited about this podcast. I was like, yes, yes, let's get on there and just say this, right? Yeah. So um, I think that I think that um, that's an important. The important point in this is that if if the pastors and the church and the denominational leaders and so forth, if they could step back from feeling offended. Yes. By, yes. by it, right? It is so in in internal family systems, which is a, a type of therapy, and I I don't know you, it's it's an amazing type of therapy, but there there are what we call protectors, right? And we have a wounded, we have wounds. All of us have wounds inside of us to one degree or another, and so when we feel like that wound is being hurt, then our defender comes up. 
and and judges other people and does things to protect us. And I think that I mean I was raised in a pastor's home and I know what it what the I know the conversations that go on in a pastor's home when people leave the church. <laughs> I I get that. I understand the wound that that makes. And so, um, you know, and I had a pastor's wife tell me one time, the people you help the most are the ones who leave. Well, that is so, there wasn't any curiosity about why would someone that you help so much need to leave, right? It was just, it was the wound, your own wound. So if we could set down our protection and go and have legitimate conversations with people, if they're willing I mean, you may have burned that bridge with them before they ever left where they can't trust you not to judge them, right? But um, I don't know. I, I've unfollowed and, and, and snoozed so many people who post ugly things about people who leave the church. It is, and I'm just like, you are just making things worse. Yeah. You are making things worse. When a child runs out of the classroom, um, then we, we sit down with the child and we say, you know, after they, we, they get regulated, after we do the co-regulation thing, and we ask them, what, what could I do to help you feel safer so you don't feel like you need to run out of the room, right? What, what, what would help you? And um, we, you know, I, I mean, we used to punish them. Well, that made them feel safe. <laughs> it's just like, oh my gosh, restrain them. You know, I know what they need. They need a good physical violence on their bottom. That right. will help them feel safe. That will help their nervous system regulate itself, right? And that's, I mean, that's what the attachment trauma and the, you know, other organizations were trying to tell people, we are not helping children to feel safe. And the whole reason they, they are in this situation is because they don't feel safe. So people are leaving because they don't feel safe. Yeah. And I thought it was, and I think I mentioned this in Trauma in the Pews, that the when the pandemic came and everybody realized they didn't have to go get their nervous system all riled up every week, they decided not to go back. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, okay, that's probably the most blunt way that I <laughs> Yeah, but Janine, I mean, it's like, you know, <laughs> maybe, maybe there's not something wrong with people. Maybe the church needs to ask what's wrong. What's wrong with us? Right. And it isn't always because they're doing something evil. Right. No. Okay. So, for instance, um, I was teaching, I was at a um, seminar. I was doing a seminar at a ministry conference. And one, there was a lady in the second row and she was knitting. Like she, you know, click, 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 click. You know, she was knitting during the whole session, you know. And, and I, 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 it kind of, it distracted me at first and then it kind of amused me. And then, and then I was like thinking about it. And so she came up to me, she goes, I hope you don't mind that I was, I was knitting while she was, but that's how I stay regulated. Mm-hmm. And I, and, it, and she said, and so if, if my, if my body is regulated, then I'm able to listen to what you're saying. Yeah. But if I sit still and don't have something to do with my hands, then I, I get so tense that I can't listen to it, okay? But I guarantee you, if a woman shows up in your church congregation and you look out and she's knitting during the service, there's gonna be all sorts of judgment going on in that service, right? And so what we need to do, and I said this when I spoke at my um, at my college where I graduated from, I said, I said, we need to build an atmosphere in the church where people are allowed to do the things that help them to regulate themselves. Okay. So, 
So if I um, if I need to play a game on my phone while I'm listening to the sermon, because that helps keeps me that that occupies that part of my mind that gets dysregulated, then that needs to not be looked upon disfavorably. That I'm not really attuning to the word. No, I'm trying to remain regulated. And so if we if we understand if we understand what our bodies need. For me, the worry worst thing is to sit in a pew, which is kind of funny. I named the book that. Okay. And no pin there. Yeah. To feel like I'm I if I move too much, which comes from my childhood, you know, I'm too wiggly. I'm too which I could never trauma never lets you sit still. No. Um, you know, all of these kinds of things. It's a whole culture that you build where people are allowed to do what they need to do to take care of themselves in the church and outside of the church in healthy ways, right? Yes. Why do people do unhealthy things to regulate themselves? Because they they aren't allowed, they aren't taught that there are other options and they aren't taught why they're needing to regulate themselves. Yeah. Instead, we just judge them for being addicts. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. uh, Janine, we could talk to you all afternoon. I think yeah, we could. there's so much in your book that is vital. I, I have maybe a final question. Uh -huh. um, many of us are trying to get in touch with, have I experienced trauma? Is that what this antipathy is about? Or is that what my uh, disproportionate reactions about? Or is that what my panic or fear is about? I mean, you talk about fear a lot in your book and how fear is sort of um, underlying a lot of our trauma responses. Um, and then there's also those of us who are charged to care for people. I mean, Christy is a pastor at a church, uh, Ben pastors, I pastor, and I am more in touch with what I don't know when it comes to, for instance, getting up and preaching a sermon about how to be trauma sensitive as I do that. I'm more in touch with what I don't know than what I do. Um, have you found, in addition to your book, have you found, are, are there certification programs or courses or, or training things that you can, that, that you like, that you found help? lay people and uh, vocational Christians kind of get up to speed on this stuff? So uh, other than the one that we're in the middle of developing, uh, there are, there are certification programs. Um, they do not as the reason that we're doing one is that uh, we want the emphasis to be on the attachment piece of it, which most certification programs don't don't talk about that. Mm -hmm. I will say to give myself a plug and the Arizona Trauma Institute that um, that they uh, I actually did a day long seminar for them, which is available at, mm -hmm. at their website. And um, you can you can it's set up as a class. It's divided into four sections and you can um, purchase access to that class. And it's it's like. It's like what I did here for you, but an entire day that goes through the entire book and, and goes into the adverse childhood, everything. Yeah. And so right now, I would say that is the that is the very best choice that that I can offer. And, um, and Janine, where is that? What's the website? It's a, a, a uh, Arizona Trauma Institute. Okay. And uh, I don't have part of Okay. One of the funny things about this, I keep cheat sheets and, and that one's not on it. Okay. Sorry. Um, because <laughs> I don't remember details. I just, yeah. You know, I can write, I can write in a whole book, but if you ask me the name of an author or a name of a book, I'm just going to be like, I don't know. Sure. Don't know. Sure. Um, okay. And then so, the thing you're developing would be obviously something. When, when is that? Uh, uh, is there a 
is there a launch date or a deadline for that, that? course? Mm-hmm. Um, I already, I did it last fall and the videos are available now to watch. Okay. And so, then the court, but what about the course you're working on now? You well, made, the you course reference- I'm working on, we plan on launching it, um, in at our February conference. So it should okay. be ready, ready to at least level one should be ready to go. There's three levels and we're doing the trauma informed. So trauma informed will be ready. And then we will do, do the other two after that. And, um, and, and I, uh, and to come to the conference, I, it'll be, you'd be, and you know, what's really interesting is that, um, when you get a whole thousand, um, trauma informed, sensitive, responsive people gathered up at a conference, Mm -hmm. people who are, it is the most amazing synergy and, and relational conference. I mean, I've been going to conferences my entire life, ministry, education, everything. And there is just nothing like our conferences for, uh, for really, um, for the relational piece and, and just how we interact with each other. It's really an amazing thing. Nice. Matt and Ben, maybe the three of us should go. We should meet up there. Oh my God. Maybe that's, maybe that's I think it'd be great. Amazing. Yeah. <laughs> that would be absolutely amazing. I need it. So, yeah. I need it. Absolutely. Well, your, your book, again, um, the book we're talking about is called Trauma and the Pews The Impact on Faith and Spiritual Practices. Uh, Janine McConaughey has joined us today. Janine, I know you have a website. Do you want to plug your pluggables? How can people find you online? So, my uh, website is Janine, J-A-N-Y-N-E dot org. And uh, when you get there, I also uh, am getting ready to do a celebration, four-week celebration. It'll be 10 years since I walked into therapy. And I'm just doing a where I bring in my friends and, and we all gather around and we talk about trauma and healing and so forth. And so I don't have any information up at my website yet, but if you subscribe, it'll at my website, it'll come out. So that's the best way to kind of link into all the other things that I'm doing. Great. Great. Well, we'll put that in the show notes. Janine, thanks so much for being with us today. Thank you for having me. I love this conversation. (laughs) So many, it's one I'm going to treasure because of everything that all of you said. So thank you. Thanks for being with us. You know what uh, really frosts my buttons? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? It's a bad Just thing. It, what really frosts my buttons, your buttons. Okay. Uh, is how uh, this this there's a conversation mm-hmm. in the in the broader Christian church that is um, n- that is sort of negative towards what's f- called deconstruction, right? And <clears throat> what 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 policing deconstruction or preaching against deconstruction misses is that almost no one chooses to question, lose, or re, uh, reassess their faith. No one chooses to do that volitionally. It's right. usually something that is foisted upon them, right? right? Yeah. It's deeply uncomfortable. Most of us want stability. Yeah. We don't want to, uproot our family from a church, lose all our friends, get a lot of ire and shame from the people that we respect. I mean, you know, most of us want to have a better time than that. (laughs) (laughs) But, but I, 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 I think my Janine's, 
uh, book and our conversation confirms an intuition I had, which is um, because we have, because almost everybody has experienced trauma to some degree, and because we've had religious systems um, that are harmful and abusive for decades, and we're just now waking up to some of these things, right? Yeah. Um, that 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 people are triggered by spiritual practices. Yes. And they and they feel, I mean, what an what an awful sort of choice to make. Like yeah. I either trigger myself and my entire nervous system is dysregulated, but I prayed this morning. Right. Or I don't pray and I feel guilt and shame about the lousy Christian that I am. Right. I either show up to the worship service and the entire time I've, I'm feeling like on edge and anxious and angry mm-hmm. and I go through this uh, roller coaster of emotion because it's triggering to me, or I don't go to church and I feel guilt and shame that I'm a lousy Christian. I mean, yeah. so, uh, listener, I know that so many of you are in that place. Mm-hmm. And I think that I hope this interview and Janine, Janine's writing and words validates that that is a legitimate crisis. Yeah. What you're dealing with isn't a lack of character or a lack of faith or you're lazy. Right. But you're you're trying to take care of yourself and you're faced with two choices and you don't want either of them. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the crisis is that what I need to do to take care of myself feels at odds with what I need to do to stay close to God. Yeah. Right? Yeah. What a, what a what a terrible choice to feel that you have to make. Oof. Yeah. 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 And well, I, yeah. and you know it's a terrible choice, but so many of us are confronted with it. And yeah, I think the more that we learn about trauma, the more that we normalize talking about it and mm-hmm. have a lexicon that's able and flexible enough to deal with the complexities that we face, yeah. uh, maybe we can begin to move towards healing and yeah. restoration. And we, in the the two choices we don't want, maybe those change. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that would be wonderful. It would be wonderful, wouldn't it? Yeah. Well, that, that, that's the other thing I took away from this interview um, with Janine is just the resilience, like her, her own experience of trauma um, that feels, you know, you know, as she was relating, it was pretty deep. I think there's, there's a lot of hope um, mm. that I'm mm. hoping our listeners could take away from this, that it's like, uh, it's not, trauma is not destiny. It's not like forever you will be f- confronted right. with this choice. Going to church is always going to feel this way. Praying is always going to feel this way. Well, not necessarily. There is, there are ways, and I think this is part of the gift of what we're learning right now about trauma and, and how we actually heal from it. Um, and so I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful that there's also hope uh, in this interview as well for people to, to, to say both, there's a reason you feel the way you do and it's not your fault. And also there's hope uh, that you won't always feel this way. Yes. And, and there's, there's ways to, you know, to move through it. So I'm hopeful that, I'm hopeful that it felt hopeful. To people. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's why we're doing this series. Yeah. Amen. Amen. Did Amen. I tell you that I got uh, mugged by six dwarves last night? <laughs> uh, surprisingly, you'd never mentioned this up, and, yeah. up until now. Yeah. Not Amazed. happy. Yeah. Not happy. Just six <laughs> dwarves. Not happy. Uh, that one's dumb on several levels. <laughs> 
but hey. also but also brilliant on the same levels. So go figure. There is a there is a bell curve uh-huh. where uh, right the more dumb a joke is, right the funnier it becomes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. One of, my, one of my favorite jokes of all time is also the dumbest joke that I've ever heard. I think I've told it on the podcast, um, but I'll I'll maybe save it for later. All right. So save it then. Yep. Listener, that's your teaser to subscribe. Subscribe to this podcast so that (laughs) one of these days you're going to hear the dumbest joke I've ever heard. Hmm. Uh, Anyway, but that day is not today. Who knows when? All right, everybody. Peace, y'all. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you're finding it helpful or enjoyable, We'd love it if you'd tell your friends about it. Ratings and reviews online also help others find the podcast. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And you can join our Gravity community online for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as our email most Fridays with curated links to articles we find interesting and helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. Our podcast is produced by Ben Sternke and Matt Tebby. Aaron Sternke edits and mixes the show. You can check out his work at aaronsternke.com. We'd love to hear from you. To record a question or comment for us, go to gravityleadership.com slash message and click the start recording button. You can also email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. Catch you next time. credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.